uh, Carissa, would you mind bringing my sermon up to me? It's there in the front view. Is that my sermon? Songs. I don't know what I do with my sermon. <laughs> uh, have no fear, it is here. That reminds me, the first time I, no, it probably wasn't my first, I think it was my second time I preached at the Reading Bible Fellowship Church. I was preaching in the evening, and I had the youth fellowship right before the evening service. And uh, one of the young people took my sermon. And uh, so I, I didn't have it, so I had to preach that night without my notes, and I'm not very good without my notes. But, uh, you know, at the end of the service, there was a girl, she came up and handed it to me, she said, I just wanted to see how you do without your notes. <laughs> grace, grace, that's what we need at times like that. Okay, so, but uh, nobody took it, it's here. And uh, we are in uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, if you would turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4. We didn't have a scripture reading this morning because we are looking at just one verse. Now, we're going to look at a lot of verses, but uh, that's our text. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing is a major theme in the book of Philippians. Overcoming troubles in order to rejoice. The double exhortation, rejoice, and then again I say rejoice, is probably given to us because of what lies in between, and that is the simple words, always, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Do you really mean that we should rejoice always in every single circumstance? Now, doesn't that seem a bit phony? Well, I think it's important that, first of all, we understand by what we mean by rejoicing. Rejoicing is not the same thing as being happy. All right? Now, as Christians, we're not always happy, uh, meaning that there isn't always a, a reason to have a smile on our face. You know, uh, sometimes we don't feel good. Uh, sometimes we're going through some, some pretty hard situations. Uh, rejoicing is not living in denial. It's not saying that when I'm sorrowful, I'm not sorrowful. It's not uh, holding back the tears that are in our eyes and pretending that they don't exist. It doesn't mean that we always have to have a smile all the time, every time we see you, and that's what it is to be a Christian. It doesn't mean we're always up. In fact, we're going to look at a verse next week. It says, uh, King James says, let your moderation be known unto all men. ESV says, let your reasonableness be known unto all men. It, it, the idea there is taking life in stride. <laughs> Not overly up nor overly down. You know, you, you, some people just go through tremendous highs and lows, peaks and valleys. Uh, we're supposed to be kind of floating through life and taking things in stride. Talk more about that next week. But so what does it mean to rejoice? Well, rejoicing or to have joy is not an immediate response. It isn't a... Knee-jerk reaction. 
Rejoicing is the result of an object of reflection. We rejoice because we have reason to rejoice. There's reason to rejoice. And so one of the words that I'd like us to think of as a synonym this morning for rejoice is the word to celebrate. And it's a legitimate uh, synonym. Uh, it's, it's one of the synonyms for this particular Greek word. It's, it's to celebrate. And maybe that'll help us to distinguish between what I'm referring to as rejoicing and being happy. To celebrate, there's a reason to celebrate. Uh, for example, uh, we might celebrate a birthday. It's somebody's 16th birthday. And so we're going to have a birthday party and we're going to, to celebrate. Well, on the way to the birthday party, you might have a flat tire. Or you may not particularly feel well. You might have a pounding headache. And you're still going because there's reason to celebrate. There's reason to give thanks. There is reason to express joy even in the midst of, of difficulty. We might celebrate a graduation, but there's a lot of hustle and bustle going on around that graduation. There are a lot of different things that you have to do, and maybe there are some unpleasant things that take place, but yet it's graduation night, and we celebrate because there's reason to celebrate. A person has put in a lot of hard work and, and effort, and so we are joyful because they are celebrating. I think one of the most meaningful things for us as, as Christians are funerals. Funerals, if a person knows the Lord as their Savior, is reason for celebration. Now, that doesn't mean we, we always glad hand everyone, or it doesn't mean there aren't tears in our eyes. It doesn't mean that there are emotions that we have to wrestle with. But in Thessalonians, it says that we do not grieve like others who have no hope. But we have a hope. We have a reason to rejoice. Our brother, our sister is in heaven. We know that they are in a better place. And so there is reason to rejoice even in the midst of trouble or adversity or hardship. So this morning we learn that there is always reason to rejoice or celebrate in the Lord. And we have some extended illustrations in the book of Philippians. As I said, verse 5 in the ESV reads, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Uh, live life based on reason as opposed, as opposed to emotion. Not emotional response, but a reasoned response. Why are we to rejoice? Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the sphere of our rejoicing, if you will. It's the reason that we are to rejoice. We are rejoicing in what the Lord is doing. In verse 4, we actually have a transition taking place in the book of Philippians. Uh, up until this point, we're given reasons why we're to rejoice. From here on, we're given instruction in how to rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, Lord is at hand. 
is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Pray about these things, okay? Uh, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatever things are pure, think on these things. Uh, govern the way that you think. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, so we have the how-tos coming up. Where we're, closing in, we're closing out on the wise to rejoice. Not letting our emotions rule us, but our thoughts rule us. There are seven distinct instances in which Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice or speaks of their rejoicing. And so this morning, I'm going to do a, a review to bring us up to date of where we are. And uh, hopefully, you'll remember these passages. I don't have the opportunity to fully exegete them again. So I, I hope that just saying a few things about each one of these seven will bring some thoughts to mind. Let me just say that the better you know the books that we are working through, uh, the more meaningful the messages are going to be, the more they're going to tie together. So I'm going to give you a heads up. Where we're going from here is the book of 2 Timothy. That's what's coming next. So uh, it's a short book, uh, easily read in one sitting. I'd encourage you to read it often. The more you read it, I think the more you're going to get out of the sermons when we get there. I'm giving you a heads up so you can read it even more in advance. And uh, that's where we're going as soon as we finish up the book of Philippians. But this morning, looking at these seven instances, these seven examples about rejoicing. The first is Paul had reason to rejoice even when the gospel was being preached insincerely. Insincerely, not sincere. Some were preaching the gospel insincerely. Notice Philippians 1.14. Now we're just going to work our way through these chapters. Philippians 1.14. Some were preaching the gospel sincerely. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's imprisonment was helping some people garner encouragement. If Paul can go through this, and uh, take this so well, we can do so too. And they became emboldened to preach. However, some were not preaching the gospel sincerely. They were insincere because they were seeking to add to Paul's troubles. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Uh, some uh, are trying to create jealousy on the part of Paul. Some are jealous of Paul. Uh, and so they're trying to best him by preaching the gospel while he's in prison. Uh, they are not being sincere. They're not motivated by good things. They're motivated by bad things. But notice what he says in verse 18. Nevertheless, Paul was rejoicing that Jesus Christ was preached. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So Paul found a reason to rejoice even when some people were preaching the gospel insincerely. Even when some people were glad that he was in prison. And some people that were actually trying to make his imprisonment more painful for him than it already was. What he focused on was the fact that Jesus Christ was, preaching, was being preached more 
as a result of his being in prison than his not being in prison. And in that he rejoiced. It gave him joy. Not an immediate knee-jerk emotional response, but a reason to rejoice. Because Christ was being uh, preached. One of the things that uh, we can always say is that we should rejoice in the midst of affliction or any adversity for it gives us the occasion to adorn the gospel of Christ. Notice 127, concluding thought of that section. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or absence, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here is an opportunity for us to demonstrate the power of the gospel in our own lives. Let us rejoice, even in the midst of difficulty, for it's an opportunity to demonstrate what God can do through us. Reason to rejoice even in the midst of adversity. Second, Paul had reason to rejoice even when he was making great personal sacrifices. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is talking a lot about sacrifice. He says that we are to have the mind or the attitude of Jesus Christ, who himself took upon himself a sacrificial spirit. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so here is this reason to rejoice, verse 17 of chapter 2. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul rejoiced even as he thought about the possibility of dying in his ministry for Jesus Christ. Dying in the ministry of Jesus Christ. He said, but I'm glad and there's reason to rejoice. Now, if you remember, he lays out a number of reasons to rejoice. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, as he thought about the fact for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, he could rejoice as he thought about the fact that maybe he's going to pour out his life as a, as a sacrifice for God. He said, but it was more needful for them that he would stay and remain. And so he anticipated that he was going to be released from prison and return to them once again. He did not know that as a fact, but he was anticipating it for his life was to benefit them which brought us to verse 17. If I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. Put it another way, Paul says, if my death is going to bring about 
a greater faith and faithfulness on your part, it's worth it. It's worth it. If God is going to use my death to further the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that's, if that's going to demonstrate the reality of my faith, if that's going to show forth the power of God, then, in essence, bring it on. I'm ready. For his rejoicing was in the benefit that it was going to bring to the people of God. Also, there is an exalted position awaiting him, even as there was for Christ. But what we can learn from this particular section is that one of the reasons that we have to rejoice, uh, even in times of hardship and difficulty, is because it can be an avenue of increasing other people's faith and faithfulness. We can be showing other people the way. Second Corinthians says that we comfort other people with the comfort with which we have been comforted. To say to people that are going through adversity, I have been there. I've experienced that. I know what it's like, and I know what God can do. I know how God can help. You know, to, to go to that person that had a miscarriage, if you've had one. What a help that is. And maybe even to be able to celebrate in a sense. Now, I understand I'm talking about hard and difficult things here. But actually, thank God that you had the opportunity to minister to this person. To help this person through this difficult circumstance. And, and it may even give you the ability to actually rejoice on Mother's Day for those mothers who haven't experienced miscarriages. And actually be thankful to God for that, for them. You know, I, I would imagine that Mother's Day for someone that went through a miscarriage would be a, a horrific day. So I, I don't take these things lightly. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not trying to sugarcoat or I'm not trying to be uh, hard-hearted or uh, in any way ingenuous. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at really difficult situations and say, you know, there's still cause for rejoicing. That's what Paul's saying. That uh, rejoice in the Lord always. In the Lord. That's the key. In the Lord. By his strength and accepting his will. We can actually celebrate with other people with what we can't celebrate on our own. He's able to overcome our own weaknesses. He's able to overcome our own sorrows, our own, our own miseries. He's able to lift us up to a place where, yes, maybe with tears, yes, maybe with anguish, but just as you go to that funeral with mixed emotions, just maybe as you go to that graduation with a bunch of horrific things in the past, maybe you can just sit there and say, you know, I'm thankful that they didn't have to experience this. And I actually rejoice when that baby's born for that, for that couple. Uh, hard and 
difficult things. But, but you see, that's why Philippians says that we, we, we show forth as, as lights. Look with me at Philippians uh, 2, uh, 12 and following. Just in reminder. I'm, I'm reading from the King James because I have all this memorized in the King James and since I'm flying through this, I'm going to keep using the King James. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless, harmless, children of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What a light we are. Not to complain, not to murmur, but able even to rejoice in the midst of all these hardships and difficulties. You see, that is a powerful witness. That's not contrived. Uh, that's not fake. That's not ingenuous. That isn't some kind of learned platitude that we say to somebody. It is an actual demonstration of what God's grace has done in our lives. And it becomes noteworthy. That's why Paul refers to it as adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ. It makes the gospel beautiful. Because those are kind of beautiful people to be around. And this is what God's grace can do in our lives. Paul had reason to rejoice even in the midst of sorrow. Philippians 2, verse 25. Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Philippians 2, 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and minister to my need. And we looked at all those wonderful descriptions as we worked through this passage. Verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you had heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So here's Paul telling us that he had sorrow upon sorrow. One adversity after another. One hardship after another. Now Paul says, you sent Epaphroditus to me. Good guy, fellow worker, fellow messenger, and he fell sick, and he almost died. And as Paul was thinking about this, it created sorrow in his heart. Sorrow for Epaphroditus, sorrow for the Philippians. When they would hear this, that Epaphroditus had died, and the reason that he had died is because he was supplying something that they lacked, they might feel guilty. Paul was heavy-hearted. And as he was heavy-hearted, he rejoiced. Look at verse 28. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at his seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. That you would have reason to rejoice. He's back. He's healed. So here is Paul sending away the only person he's got at the moment that's ministering to his needs and bring him comfort. In sending him and Timothy, he's going to be alone. 
He's not looking forward to being alone. He rejoiced, chapter uh, 4, that they sent Epaphroditus to him. He was thankful that Epaphroditus had came. But now he didn't sit and wallow in the, in the fact that I'm going to be alone again. And how am I going to pay for my imprisonment? He had to pay for his room and board. They had to in those days. How's all that going to happen? Instead of focusing on that, he's rejoicing. He had reason to celebrate. Because God spared Epaphroditus' life. Because he's going to be able to go home and encourage the hearts of the Philippian believers. There was reason to rejoice in the midst of sorrow. It's not that you deny the sorrow. But you take into account a bigger picture of what God is doing. Of what God is doing. You know, uh, a lot of people, their, uh, their children are, are leaving. Okay, some... We prayed for Emily. She's going off to the, the military. Okay, some uh, children are moving away. I know Cece's, uh, not, not Cece. Uh, oh boy, now, now I got myself in trouble. Uh, Becky, Becky is what I'm thinking of. Becky's uh, daughter's uh, moving. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for sorrow, but in the midst of them, there's always reason to rejoice as well. To see a greater picture of what God is doing. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. To, to stop and think about what is God doing in this situation? How is this fitting into the, the larger scheme of things? In the eternal timeline, in the advancement of the gospel, of Jesus Christ. How is my life, this little dot, figuring into a far bigger picture of a gracious God at work in this church, in this community, in my family, in the world? And rejoicing in what the Lord is doing. That's going to be the bottom line of this morning's message. This is what I want you to, to take away. That the way we're to rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in what God is doing. Even if it's difficult for me at the moment, even if it's sorrowful for me at the moment, but to rejoice in what God is doing. Paul had reason to rejoice even when having to do unpleasant things repeatedly. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. Now he says this. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. Paul is now going to rehearse things that he'd, he'd said time and time again. Beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the circumcision. He's going over the whole thing about how circumcision isn't necessary for our salvation. He's talking about these false teachers. He's going back. He's giving his testimony. He said... To say the same things to you is not irksome or troublesome to me. It's not a bother. It doesn't upset him. To say the same thing over and over again. He says, I rejoice to tell you these things. Why? He says, for me, it's not irksome, and for you, it's safe. This is a safeguard. This is a way to protect you. This is a way to keep you. Okay? I'm rejoicing that there is this opportunity that I have 
to spare you from some of life's miseries and, and trials and adversions of your faith. For you, it's a good thing. And so I am rejoicing. I'm rejoicing for I can do good for others. Second bottom truth that comes through throughout Philippians. We are rejoicing in what God is doing. And often what God is doing, he's doing for the benefit of others. And so one of the ways that we can reasonably rejoice, not emotional response, but reasonably sit down and, and say, what can I rejoice in what God is doing? And a lot of times it's what he's doing in the lives of others. How this is being used in somebody else's life. How this hospital stay may be an instrument of God's grace in the person who's in the next bed to me. Or it just may be a testimony to my family. Or it may be, and maybe you don't know what it is, but by faith, we can rejoice in what God is doing. Paul had reason to rejoice even when people were inconsistent in their care for him. Turn me to Philippians chapter 4. This is a new one. We haven't gotten here yet. But uh, we're going to look at it because when I get here, I'm going to take a different approach. So I, I, I put it out here for my last example. Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord. <laughs> Same words again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's talking about a gift of money that they were sending to him by the hand of Epaphroditus. He said, I rejoice now at the length you have revived your concern for me. What that means is there was a period of time in which he was doing without. He goes on to say, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Whether I'm abased or whether I'm abound in all things I'm instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in that wonderful context. Paul says, you know, for a long time, nothing came my way. But now at length, you revived, <laughs> you came to life again, and you're concerned for me. And then he says this, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He said, I understood, while nothing was coming, that it didn't mean you didn't care about me. He said, you, you didn't have the opportunity, you didn't have the wherewithal. You didn't know how to meet my need at that point. And so he didn't become angry because at that point his need wasn't met. That's where we get this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But he says, I remembered what you did for me. So I rejoiced in your concern for me. Nor you had no opportunity. Now notice verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, now he says this, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Some people would sit back and said, you know, I have all the churches I ministered to. Think of Paul's missionary journeys. 
in all the churches I ministered to, there was only one church that sent me money. That was you. A lot of us would sit and be tiffed in all these churches that didn't send money. Why didn't they care? Why didn't they send money? Why didn't they help? Why was there only this one? But that wasn't Paul's take. Paul didn't look at all the churches that didn't give. He looked at the one church that did give. And he rejoiced. He rejoiced because they were so unusual, because they were so unique. You know, no one else did what you did. No one else cared the way that you cared. He rejoiced in what God was doing. Notice as we continue on. Verse uh, 15, 16. I've got the King James open, so you have to follow with me. Now you Philippians, I'm in 4.15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again, even unto my necessity. Now he says this, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says, I'm not writing these things because I want your money. I'm writing these things because I want you to grow. And I want you to acknowledge, I want you to see what God is doing in your life. And I rejoice that when I was in Thessalonica, there, you not only sent money to me once, but you sent money to me twice. God is at work in your midst. And he's rejoicing in what God is doing. People, we need to rejoice in what God is doing. It's easy to focus on the negativity. That's why Paul's saying the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are just, think on these things. Okay? Rejoice in what the Lord is doing. As I bring this to conclusion, two thoughts. There is always reason to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Reason number one. Because he who began a good work in you will perform it today of Christ. That's where we started. Philippians 1.6. God is always at work. God is always at work. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But by faith, accept it that God is always at work. And then reason through the cause of rejoicing, knowing that God is at work. God is at work. The second reason to rejoice. Philippians 2.13, another key verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not only is God at work in the situation, but God is at work in you. God is at work in me. God is at work in his people. 
There's always reason to rejoice because God is at work in me. God is bringing about the purpose for which he saved me. God is accomplishing his goal in my life. God is completing me. God is perfecting me. One day I'm going to be in his presence. And here, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because God has continually striven with me. There's always reason to rejoice because God is at work in us. In our failures, in our sinfulness, in the forgiveness that he provides. Lord, thank you that you are at work in this situation. And thank you, Lord, and I rejoice that you are at work in my own life. Help me through this situation. Help me to see the reason to rejoice. Doesn't mean plaster fake smiles on your face. Doesn't mean to live a life of denial, of, of simply saying these things don't exist, that, that, that these troubles aren't real. They are real. They are real. But God's at work. And God's at work in us. And many times, what he's doing isn't just for our benefit, it's for the benefit of others. Rejoice in what he's doing. Let's pray. Our Father, we trust that you will help us to rejoice this morning and to look at our lives in a lens that is different from the lens of the world, that, that Lord, that the lens is not focused upon us, but it's focused outward. We're not taking a group of selfies this morning. Uh, we're, we're looking outward. Uh, we are seeing that what you are doing in our life is to further your gospel and to further your kingdom and be a benefit and, and a help to others. Lord, help us to rejoice, even as we reflectively look back. Lord, help us to be able to take some moments this afternoon and even think about some of the lowest times in our life and yet how you have brought glory to yourself through them. Lord, give us reason to celebrate in you. Help us to lift up your name. And in celebrating in you, Lord, to show the vast, vast difference between what it means to be a child of God and what it means to live on our own, in our own independence, in our own strength. Oh, Lord, help us to rejoice in you. Celebrate your work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.